If you get chemotherapy or radiation to treat cancer, the tissues in your gut are usually among the first to die, even if that's not where the cancer is. That's because those stem cells in your gut are particularly susceptible to that radiation and chemotherapy because they grow and divide so quickly. Of course, that allows them to grow back quickly, too. And the genes that drive that process to regenerate your gut are unknown. We have no idea what happens there. On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, the bio-inspired engineering it takes just to study the lining of your gut. I'm Robert Frederick. The cells lining your gut live about a week, and there are a lot of them. If you were to spread them out in a single layer, they would cover half of a tennis court. That is a lot of cells, and that's all a stem cell-driven process. Scott Magnus is a biomedical engineer at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. What that means is a stem cell is an undifferentiated cell. It doesn't really know who it is in life yet. It can turn into a lot of different cell types of the gut, but it has to go through a number of genetic processes to do that, and we try to understand that. The effort to understand those genetic processes is also an effort to understand what goes wrong. If it goes wrong, you have a lot of problems. You have bacteria in your gut that get in your bloodstream. You can die within hours if that happens. There's inflammatory responses that can cause all kinds of problems that you know about. Like diarrhea, bleeding ulcers, stomach pain, cramping, bloating, anemia. And then hopefully all of this information can help us develop cell-based therapies using stem cell technologies and also high-throughput screening platforms for drugs. Particularly, Magnus says, the kinds of drugs that would allow the gut to endure more aggressive cancer treatment. So if you want to dose somebody with higher chemo or radiation, you might be able to give them another drug that will enhance that regenerative process so you can dose people with higher amounts for better outcomes. And that's one of the limitations now with clinicians is they can't give you a really high dose because it kills your normal cells. So what's known so far about this regenerative process? So that event of that regeneration after chemotherapy and radiation probably happens from one or two cells. And the genes that drive that process to regenerate your gut are unknown. We have no idea what happens there. So we thought this might be a really nice way to start dissecting out from a single cell that's left over after one of those therapies to figure out how, what genes it goes through. And those could be potential targets for new drugs. And the problem, as Magnus and many other researchers found out... It's very challenging to culture these cells to do anything with them and also to apply those to any sort of real-world problems. And that's where the bio-inspired engineering comes in, which really got going about six or seven years ago. Before that... Well, the technology was not there to even culture these cells. So my lab um, pioneered this in the United States, and the pressures that we would experience in the lab and the challenges forced us to develop new technologies that eventually led to these biomimetic tissue constructs. And all that means is the ability to develop a tissue construct outside of the body in a dish that mimics what your biology looks like or the architecture of your gut. So these cells, these stem cells that grow to form the lining of your gut, these cells that develop really fast, they're really hard for researchers to grow them outside of the body. Step one of three steps to study these cells was just to get them to grow at all. Turns out... They grow in a three-dimensional jello-like substance we call gel, And they won't grow flat on a plate. And allowing them to grow in a blob 
Well, they turn into what's called an organoid, basically a little mini-gut made of thousands of cells of several types, but shaped like a sphere, suspended in this jello-like substance. So this particular technology to be able to put a cell in a culture that will generate a tissue construct or sphere was very challenging and it really required a lot of biology to figure out what components to put in that culture. But also we recognize once you have that structure, how do you study it? So after getting them to grow, step two in figuring out how to study these cells was to get them to grow in a way that you could study it. Because a little blob that's suspended in a jello-like structure, well, looking through a standard microscope, it's going to be out of focus most of the time because the little blob of cells is growing in all three dimensions. Not just the two dimensions it would be if it were flat on a plate. And that was a real problem because you can't follow them, you can't count them, you can't study them from day to day. It's super challenging. Of course, there are fancier three-dimensional imaging techniques, and the team tried those too. With each three-dimensional image, even of a fairly small number of these suspended cells, taking about 10 hours to make. So you can imagine, it's not a very practical approach to studying the biology of single cells um, and understanding how that they will develop into organoids. Because remember, these cells grow and divide really, really fast. So Magnus decided he needed help, a collaborator with the expertise to help him figure out how to take a single cell and study it at the single cell level, alive and over time as it became an organoid, and in a way that they could study lots of them at the same time quickly. And Nancy Albritton is the chair of the biomedical engineering department at Chapel Hill and NC State, it's a dual department program. And her expertise, or at least one of them, is to microfabricate things. You tell her anything she, you want microfabricated, and she can microfabricate. What that means is making something big into something really small. Scaled down so that the small version looks like the big version. Together, they created a device that holds 15,000 cells, each in their own little numbered well or compartment, with an address, to follow how these cells each one in their own tiny little well, develop over time. So finally, step three then in figuring out how to study these cells was to figure out how to follow the growth of 15,000 of them. Well, one of the big problems, especially if you have graduate students and postdocs, is how do you quantify 15,000 of anything? People will quit your lab if you tell them to count 15,000 of anything from day to day, from hour to hour. So we developed a computer vision analysis platform that will t would tell us, let the computer tell us what was in each one of those wells. So the computer takes a picture of each one and then automatically analyzes each image for the circular shapes of cells. So we had it look for circles and tell us if it was a circle of a certain size. And we found that this process was 99% accurate. So we could go through those 15,000 wells in about two hours and tell us with greater than 99% accuracy what was in those wells. Like whether they had grown or divided. Finally, it was time to do some biology. You can look at the DNA, you can look at the genes, you can look at a lot of you got proteins, there's a lot of things you can look at. Including testing the hypothesis that these stem cells grow better when they're in close proximity, perhaps touching other cells in the gut, called panath 
cells. Turns out that they do. That touching event was essential to confer survival and growth advantage of stem cells. Now, how and why, what are the downstream things that are involved in that, we don't know yet. And those are now a whole new field in our lab is to understand that process. And in addition to looking for new pharmaceuticals to help these cells survive radiation and chemotherapy, other new research paths include questions about how all these cells interact with the bacteria that live inside your gut. There are thousands and thousands of different species, and we do not know what they do. There's people that will say, if you eat yogurt, that helps you out. We don't know really exactly what that's doing. There are people who have inflammatory bowel diseases, and it's thought that they're skewing of those thousands of different species in a way that you, your body is attacking your own cells because it's trying to fight off those bad bacteria in your body. Don't understand that. We don't get what bacteria are driving that and why some people are susceptible and some people are not. And the reason is because we haven't had tools to study it in a very detailed way. Now they do, sort of. Because there are a whole new set of challenges ahead in keeping human gut cells alive, they need oxygen, right next to and interacting with species of bacteria that are anaerobic and would die in the presence of oxygen. So it's still hard because if one cell dies, you have a hole and now the oxygen goes through. And so with a grant from the federal government called a transformative R01, the kind of grant for a high-risk, high-reward idea, Magnus and his colleagues are now three years into a five-year project to do just that. It's really to develop these platforms that are biomimetic, that are like you, but in a dish. Scott Magnus is a biomedical engineer at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.